Have you ever met or experienced a hardcore street preacher? You know, oftentimes downtown in big cities you'll see this, but, but they'll stand on these street corners and they'll shout, Repent! And sometimes they're rather loud and insulting and demeaning and harsh. And sometimes they're a little gentle and they're kind. But I suspect the way that you feel about these preachers are the way that you would feel about John the Baptizer. Or at least if you lived way back in the first century. Because John was, well, like street preachers, a little bit out there on the edge, no matter what way you look at it. He was oddly dressed, scruffy, eccentric dude that had a diet of bugs and honey. All right, new diet. His message was basic. He would go everywhere without a sandwich board and a loud voice and say, Repent! Turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is really close. Now, to us, that might be an odd message. It it would be. But if you were a Jew and you were living in that first century, when you heard the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was close, it it was near, oh, you, you started getting excited. His message was huge because most of the Jews that were hearing this message got a little bit excited. You you mean the Messiah is going to be here? You mean the Savior? The one who was prophesied? The King is really going to be coming? That's pretty cool. But they saw the messenger. He seemed a little bit odd. Well, Isaiah, the prophet, hundreds of years before this time, prophesied that this guy John would be proclaiming And we're going to spend a lot of time today in Matthew 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Don't worry, we won't cover all of it. But if you want to open up your flat screens or your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start right there. And in Matthew chapter 3, this is what the prophet Isaiah basically said. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. God basically gave John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, as so many of you know him as, an assignment of telling others that God's redemptive and gracious plan was just about to unfold. The Savior was going to come. There was going to be redemption. You didn't have to live the lives that you were living right now. It was... Jesus. John was to literally introduce the Messiah, the Savior of the world. His message would not be about John. It would not be about his technique. It would only point people to Jesus. And by the way, a little bit later in Matthew, Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus himself calls John the greatest of all men born of a woman naturally 
Whoa. So Jesus in the kingdom, and he's going to keep talking about the kingdom and what this reign and rule of God really looks like. He said, the greatest one that I know of is John. Because he took an assignment it was never about him. It was always about me. He kept pointing people to me. That person was great. I started thinking a little bit about that. And we attribute certain things to people and, and consider them great. But this man, John the Baptist, was the greatest because you didn't know a whole lot about him. But you knew a whole lot about Jesus. You see, Christ, we actually talked about this last week. But he came and was born as a babe. And he grew up in Nazareth. He was 100% God. And he was 100% human. Something that's almost impossible to be able to figure out. But when he was about 30, he began his ministry soon after John baptized him. If you look at Matthew 3, and starting at verse 13, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. <laughs> but John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, John said. So why are you coming to me, Jesus? But Jesus said, It should be done. For we carry out all that God requires. So I, I just listen to my father. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending down like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, Whoa, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now Christ's baptism was a little bit different than the ones you experienced this morning. Not that God was not pleased with every one of them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that voice didn't come. I'm not so sure you saw the Holy Spirit descending. And, and the reason is, these folks, well, were obedient as believers. We are told at the end of Matthew, when Jesus was giving his last instructions to his disciples, he said, hey, go keep making disciples. And when people turn to me and begin to follow me, what I want you to do is baptize them. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you heard that. But you're baptizing them or those five folks up here simply because, well... They were lost and dead. Jesus was never lost or dead. He was the Son of God. But those folks, they were proclaiming, I was dead, now I'm alive. It's because of Jesus. And I just want everybody to know it. What a wonderful story. What a great thing, especially our young people, to be able to make a choice. Literally, even this last week, coming to faith and then deciding, you know what, I want to be baptized. I want, I want to let everybody know. I, I just do. 
So Christ was baptized literally not for repentance of sin, but basically out of submission to his Father, because he told them to, and to publicly display God's approval and the Spirit's involvement in Christ's life. It's historic because as you read all the way through the story, which is something we are going through as a church, and we're now just up to about Jesus. But what's historic is that this is one of the few places that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all appear at the same time, at least in the Scripture. So before we literally jump into Christ's first year of ministry, let's pray. Father, I thank you again just for the testimonies today. I thank you that you are the life giver. I thank you, dear God, that you love us enough that you pursued us and that, well, your son died in our place so that we might have abundant life and eternal. God, would you move today in a very special way. Would you encourage us? Would, would your word be so clear to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. The stories of Jesus, at least his first, uh, well, all of them, the, the first year of ministry are found in all of the Gospels. But as I said, we're going to camp in Matthew, Matthew 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Now, some of you, um, you know, if you start reading in Matthew, you, you kind of get one timeline. If you read in Mark, you get another timeline. And, and all four of these followers of God wrote down really what they saw, who Jesus was and what he did. Out in the lobby, if you'd like, um, and just want to encourage you, and this might clear up some things, but we've printed out a harmony of the Gospels. And what happens, it puts everything a little bit in a timeline. And want to encourage you, if you're at all confused or want to study the scripture and the life of Jesus, you can pick one of those up at our welcome booth out there. But right after Jesus was baptized, something very unique happened. In Matthew chapter 4, look at verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, was prompted by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he became very hungry. Very early in the ministry of Jesus, after he began to share with people who he was, he was guided into the wilderness to be tempted. The scriptures tell us that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, a practice that, well, seems a little bit odd to some of us. But fasting is a discipline that forces us to depend upon God and makes us more aware of God. And so in the very beginning of Christ's public ministry, he just wanted more of God. Amazing. He modeled for us this unbelievable relationship he had with his father. And Jesus, who is hungry and vulnerable to the temptations of Satan, as you read through this, you will find out that, first of all, he doesn't bite. Satan tries to seduce him, 
to tempt him in a way. And, and basically, every time he responds, Jesus responds to Satan's enticements by quoting Scripture. By quoting Scripture. If there ever was a good case for memorizing Scripture, this is it. Remember last week we talked about a normal Hebrew kind of growing up. At about five years old, what would happen is that, well, young people would begin to get instruction in the synagogue and at home about who God was. About 10 years old, they would begin to continue the instruction, but to memorize the Torah, the first five books of that Old Testament. And by the time they were 13, they basically would enter womanhood or manhood. And it was at that time that they would be able to quote those first five books of the Bible. Whoa. One of the heroes in my life, you, you don't know, his name actually is Jim Petrini. Jim, <laughs> Jim was an Iwana leader, I think, for a million years. He worked downtown, and he worked in uh, trading stocks and different things like that, and had quite of a job that had all kinds of pressure but but he lived in Arlington Heights and he would it would take about 45 minutes for him to literally go downtown and then walk to the office and 45 minutes to come back but he loved his Iwana boys and faithfully he would not only circle around them but he would learn the verses with them so he would quote over and over and over. So he'd have his Hawana book. And, and after 20 or 30 or 40 years, well, he really knew his Hawana book. He did. But he kept reviewing. He kept reviewing. One day I asked Jim, because Jim was one of the guys, you'd walk into the room and there was a smile. I said, Jim, what's your, what's your secret? And he goes, I love the Lord. I, I said, I know that. But what do you do? How do you stay sharp? He goes, you know what? I memorize God's word. Jim's not doing well right now. For some reason, his health is declining. His wife, his name is Mariah. She's really sick too. Two people that have dedicated their lives unbelievably to working with kids. Kids like you saw partnering with different families, encouraging them to invest in something that will help them every single day. He knew God's word was important. As I want to encourage you. But if we see and we continue in Matthew, we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus literally begins his public ministry at this time. All right? This is still very early. And remember, he had about a three-year ministry. But in verse 17, the scripture says this. From this time on, Jesus began to preach. Listen to what he began to preach about. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Or about to burst on the scene. Hey, I want you to know. It's really important you stay connected with God. It's really important you have a relationship with God because sin separates you and separates us. 
I want you to repent. I want you to confess. And I want you to experience all that God's going to give you. At this moment, Jesus begins to gather followers. He doesn't pick the 12 until the second year in his ministry. So for the whole first year, he's walking around the countryside, he's preaching, he's calling people to follow him, he's encouraging people, but he doesn't choose the 12 guys he's just going to spend time with until year number two. He comes to a couple guys named Peter and Andrew, and so many of you know this story. They're fishermen. The scriptures literally tell us they're throwing their nets into the sea. And Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me. A few moments later, finds two guys, James and John. In fact, I'm going to read it in, in Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 19, or 18 we'll start with. One day, Jesus was walking, walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets, and they followed him. A little further up on the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John. And they were sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee, repairing the nets. And he called to them, and they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Wow. Now again, it wasn't Jesus' charisma. They'd already heard a little bit about Jesus. But, but Jesus, right from the very beginning, sometimes we think Jesus, you know, he's a little bit soft maybe in that first year. He wasn't. He let people know, you want to find life? Follow me. The picture you see up on the screen is on my office wall. And it reminds me of the time that these guys, they left their boats and they followed Jesus. Oh, how cool. Come and follow me. I will teach you how to fish for people. They left their nets and followed. And Jesus literally is asking the exact same thing today. Exactly. There's no doubt about it. He goes, oftentimes we think we find our fulfillment in the boats. We find our fulfillment in the fishing. We find our in doing. He goes, I, I just want you to know, spend time with me. I will give you perspective. I will share with you about how to live life, how to invest well for the future. Well, as Jesus continued to teach, crowds began to grow. And miracles became more common. And his reputation was growing. One day, early in his ministry, the crowds were gathering, and Jesus began to teach. The scriptures tell us that he sat those people who were following him, his disciples, and it could have been many of them at that time, right in the front row. And Jesus gives his longest recorded message. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It lasts from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The master teacher teaches us about the kingdom here. What life looks like under the reign and the rule of God. The culture around them was so very, very different. Let me remind you is, is what Jesus tried to do is paint a picture for his disciples, for all those who are listening. 
Just trying to explain, when you live underneath my authority, when you follow me, things are going to look so different. Unbelievably different. And he starts off in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to put these words up on the screen. But we're going to start at verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Most of you know this passage, these 11 verses, as the Beatitudes. And so Jesus starts off, basically says, right off, he's not talking about salvation here, he's just describing what the kingdom of God, what living under God's reign and rule, he is basically enticing the crowds. He says, I want you to know, in my kingdom, I'm going to bless. You will thrive. You will flourish. In my kingdom, look at verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In, in my kingdom, I will bless those who see themselves spiritually poor, not what you have in the bank. But recognize that they're never going to find life without me. And they realize their need for me. So those people who are really going to thrive in my kingdom are those that are going to recognize that they need Jesus. Then he says, in my kingdom, I'm going to bless those who mourn for they will be comforted. What do you mean, just cry a lot? In this context, it's really mourn over sin. Recognizing again that rebelling or disobeying God is, well, it's fun for a season. For a little season. But it doesn't bring you fulfillment. He says, blessed are those who live in my kingdom under my authority, who literally, when they sin, they mourn over it. Then he goes, blessed are those who are humble. Humble. For they will inherit. In my kingdom, you will be honored if you focus on others and not yourself. God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Or in some of your translations, it would be for righteousness. Oh, amazing. As we look at, again, God just trying to share with us and give us a picture. God says he blesses those who are merciful, for those whose hearts are pure, for those who work for peace, for those who are persecuted. And then verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward in heaven awaits you. Oh. He's just trying to say, things are so different in my kingdom. If you spend time under my rule, if you listen to me, the world's going to really, really look different. In just the next few verses, in Matthew 5, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he says that you are the salt and the light of the world. He goes, you're here to bring seasoning. You he are here to point people to the light. You walk into the room. You are not the most morbid person. You're not this person just always sad and a killjoy. But you are a person that understands who God is. 
and you bring salt and light wherever you go. He talks about God's word later on and anger and adultery and lies and revenge and generosity and forgiveness and you can read through that. But he finally comes in Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 9 and he says, I want to teach you how to pray. I literally want to teach you how to pray. Now what I've put up on the screen is the prayer or the Lord's prayer or the pattern prayer that most of you are familiar with. It's in the King James Version. But I'd like to read to you out of the NLT. And and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you pray, what I'd like you to do is this. I'd like you to say, Our Father who is heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, he's, Lord, would, would, would your kingdom come a little bit more? Would all these things that I'm talking about, would God's people be an army of people who are out in the world, in the marketplace, wherever you are, being salt and light? And would you bring that? Would there be a dynamic, unbelievable difference because the army of God is out in our world? Would you do that, God? Would you do that? And he goes on and prays. Early in Christ's ministry, he begins to address possessions, money, and eternity. There isn't any way I'm going to be able to cover all of this sermon. But if you want, there's a guy named Randy Alcorn. Alcorn. A-L-C-O-R-N. He probably has done the best stuff on this. You can get it at Amazon or wherever you buy books or download things. But it might be, if, if you're curious, what does God have to say with money? In, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you think about it, it's the longest part of his message. Because so often, kingdom people, well, they have a reputation of being generous. Those who are not living underneath God's reign and rule don't understand that we just are managing our funds. That's all we are. We're managers. We don't have anything. We freely be able to make it available for the kingdom. And he ends this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And he talks about being provided and God takes care of you, but he says this, What I want you to do is seek first God's kingdom. I want you to make my priorities your priority. Because if you do, everything else will be taken care of. This was unbelievable for these folks to hear. I mean, seriously, I'm going to seek your kingdom, what benefits you first, and you're going to take care of me? Jesus was absolutely radical at this time. And then he ends up this whole message. And again, chats through a whole lot of things. But he ends up his whole message concluding this way. And in Matthew chapter 7, if you look at start at verse 24, he says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is 
wise. So all these things are going on, and then he gives an illustration, which every contractor or builder would know this is true. But he talks about two houses. And he says, those who are not wise build their house on weak or foundations that shift, sand. Because when storms come, your house collapses. But those who are wise will build on a firm foundation. So when storms come, you stand firm. And all Jesus was saying this, you want to be wise? You take my word and you listen to it. Submit to it. You'll never regret that. Because I'm telling you, when storms come, storms do come. Every one of us. They do. Sometimes they're horrific. Sometimes they're just little blips. But when they come, if you know God's Word, you've memorized God's Word, this is part of your life, you're listening, you're under the authority of the Almighty God, you recognize that He is walking with you. No wonder Jesus prayed, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. But if you're following and if you're just understanding a little bit of the Reader's Digest version that I just gave you of these few chapters, you're going to say to me, you know what, I, I can't live like this. I don't live like this. This is really hard. I mean, I'm really supposed to seek first God's kingdom? What about my retirement? What about this? What about... And you just start rationalizing. And no one's saying don't save money and no one's saying don't be wise. But what God is saying is when you listen to me, when you spend time with me, life is going to look so different and it's going to be unbelievably blessed. In fact, I don't think any of us can hear and try to do what God says. Say, Rick, I just thought that's the whole reason you did this. No. He's painting a picture of what it would look like of a bunch of people or people at Crosspoint that would be so in love with him and spend time with him. And wherever they go, they would reflect his authority in their lives. But you live like this by being with the king. That's it. You can try to be salt and light or you can spend time with the king and be soft. In light. You see in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how God's will is, how good and how pleasing and how perfect. You know, after Jesus gave this sermon, after Jesus called his disciples, he spent two more years with them, teaching them, helping them understand, recognizing that, hey, this relationship with me is critical. Spend time with me. Watch how I treat people. And if you come back the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these next couple years in Jesus' life. But today, what do I want you to take home? First of all, that, that the kingdom is amazing. 
It is so amazing. And we have an opportunity not to, well, ultimately bring it to this planet. God's going to do that in the future. But as we stay obedient to him, people are going to understand more and more how wonderful and gracious God is. But I also want you to know, it seems to me that Jesus made the pathway clear. He just said, follow me. It's being with Jesus and learning with Jesus and living like Jesus. You know, parents have a challenge in this culture. And that is our culture is pretty seductive. It loves to be able to take, well, God's principles and, and well, cast out and, and bring all kinds of questions. You know what's exciting is that our kids have some leaders right here in this ministry from very young all the way through high school that care a whole lot about them that partner with you as parents. One of the things we encourage our kids to do is go to camp because it's one of the few places again that each one of them will be able to spend a week with a bunch of other kids worshiping, learning about how or who God is and what a difference that God makes in your life. It is so cool. You're going to hear about that in a moment. But I just, again, want to encourage each one of you. We celebrated five lives who shouted that they have life because of Jesus. We celebrated people who were once dead and are now alive. I'm going to pray. But after I'm done praying, we are going to praise the God of miracles. The God who takes dead people and gives them life. That's the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of miracles. You come into our lives and you offer us hope when there isn't any. You paid our debt when we ought to have paid it. Lord, I'm so excited for these folks that proclaimed their faith in you. And I pray that you will protect them and encourage them as they continue to walk with you and listen to you. But God, we thought I'd just say thank you for being the God who gives life. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.